All right. It's good to see everybody tonight. Uh, good to have some visitors here with us. God bless you for being here. Hopefully you found uh, the notes on your table. Um, we're getting close to finishing the book of John. We're going to finish <clears throat> chapter uh, 20 uh, tonight. It's, it's not that many verses, but there's a few <clears throat> amazing things in here uh, from verse 19 through 31. And <clears throat> before, we, <clears throat> before we dive off into this... Um, it's, it's important to remember a couple of things just uh, in retrospect. Last week we were looking at the um, uh, resurrection account, right? And if you remember, <clears throat> uh, Mary goes to the tomb with the other ladies. She goes, they go back. They tell the other apostles, look, he's resurrected or his body's gone. And they're like, okay. That's weird. They run to the, the tomb. We talked about the possibility of John being an apostle, I mean, being of the priestly line, why he didn't go in the tomb, all that. Um, Mary hangs back, and she's the first one that sees the resurrected Savior. She's the first evangelist. She's the first one to testify that Yeshua has been raised from the dead. And he tells her, you need to go and you need to tell my brothers what? I'm going to my father, your father, uh, and, and these other things, and you know they need to wait for me. So that's what she does. But when you look at the full gospels, in other words, the chronological gospels, or uh, you look at the harmony of the gospels, let me say it that way. When you look at all the different accounts, it also says that when they came and told the apostles he's resurrected, they all went, what? I mean, they didn't get it immediately. Okay? So we're going to pick up on later that evening. This is where we're going to pick up on the story here, starting with verse 19. <clears throat> So I just, and I've got the notes for you there on your table um, in the scriptures version once again. I hope y'all are enjoying using that and that you're finding it uh, helpful. So in verse 19, it says, when therefore it was evening on the first day, or, or on that day, the first day of the week. Interesting how God and the Holy Spirit uh, inspired John to make sure we understand this wasn't a week later. So it's real specific, saying this was on evening on that day, the same day that Mary came and announced these things and all that stuff, and he's telling us, and it was the first day of the week. And when all the doors were shut, where the taught ones met for fear of the Yehudim, Yeshua came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace, to you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The taught ones therefore rejoiced when they saw the master. Then Yeshua said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me. I also send you. Now, <clears throat> here's what I want you to see and understand. In these, what, one, two, three verses, this phrase, peace to you, has been repeated twice. So Yeshua comes in and he goes, peace to you, in Texan, peace to you. <laughs> uh, that's my Texas slang, okay? Can't help it. I'm 40 minutes from the house I grew up in. Um, but then he shows them his hands and his side and everything, and they rejoice because they see it. Now, and they're like, this really is him. And then he says it again to them, peace to you. I've got it there on your notes for you, what that would be in Hebrew. It's shalom aleichem. Anybody here ever heard that? Shalom aleichem. Shalom aleichem means peace be unto you. I, I wish for you to have peace. 
there's a very famous, uh, if you will, Israeli, Jewish, if you will, song, Avinu Shalom Aleichem, which means we come bringing peace to you, or we have come to bring you peace. Uh, we as a group, or we are wishing you peace. Um, <clears throat> the, one of the reasons why I'm bringing this out to you is I, I want you to see something because later on, <clears throat> did I not mark it again? Shoot. Oh, there it is. Down in verse 26, we'll get there in a second. He's going to say it again. He's, when, when Thomas shows up, uh, and by the way, what is Thomas's nickname? He's, he's what? Uh, uh, he's doubting Thomas. You know, you got somebody. I mean, it, this happened 2,000 years ago. So if someone in your group or your, you know, your tribe or whatever that is, you know, is doubtful about something, they say, are you a, are you a doubting Thomas? <clears throat> uh, right? That's just a common thing. 2,000 years ago, poor old Thomas, he gets hung with this uh, stigma that he's doubting Thomas. Why? Because he said, you know, unless I see his hands and feet, you know, I'm not going to believe and all that. We'll get to that in a second. But when, Tom, when Thomas is there, Jesus shows up again and he does this with Thomas and he says it again. That's only down in verse 26. So in these first Oh, seven or eight verses here, this phrase, Shalom Aleichem, is repeated three times. Those of you that have been coming here, you know, right? You know what I'm about to say, because I say it all the time. If you see something repeated and repeated in close proximity, pay attention. <coughs> it's there for a reason. We, one, one thing is we forget <coughs> that the words we say literally have power either for good or evil. <clears throat> so here's what's really weird. I mean, we've grown so far from what we really should be doing. And then when we find out what we really should be doing, it feels weird even strange. Like showing up tonight, which I failed to do that, but should have said, you know, Shabbat Shalom. What does that mean? That you have peace coming your way, meaning goodness. It's more than cessation of hostilities. It means all the goodness and blessings of God flowing your direction, completeness. That you would be blessed like that on this Sabbath or wishing that you would have that on your Sabbath. That's what that should mean. <clears throat> so, but typically when we meet each other or we see each other, we say, hi, and then, we, then it's usually followed with, how are you doing? Or how's it going? Or how's your day? Or whatever. Uh, and that's fine. Um, it's also extremely safe, right? No skin in the game when you're like, so how's your day going? As a matter of fact, it's the shift immediately away from me to you. <laughs> I tell you what, you talk. I don't want to really share anything. How, how, how are you doing? And most of us do it so nonchalantly that everybody goes, well, yeah, you really don't, really don't want to know how I'm doing because that would mean you actually care. You're really just saying hi, right? Would, would we agree that that's pretty much our culture? When I just said, and we've talked about this in the past here, how that our words have meaning and power. <clears throat> Instead of that, we literally should be greeting each other by blessing one another. Pouring out a blessing on each other. Something like shalom aleichem or whatever. You don't have to say it in Hebrew, but you know, man, I, I just really hope that you're being blessed by God today if you don't like saying it in Hebrew, which is fine. It's no, it's no big deal. But that's what that word and what that phrase means. <clears throat> so Jesus is saying this, Yeshua is saying this to his disciples repeatedly. He repeats it twice on the night of his resurrection. This is now Sunday night. And he shows up 
And when the first thing he says to him is, and this is what he would have said, Shalom Aleichem. Those are the words he would have used. He would have said, Shalom Aleichem. They, they knew what he meant. Peace be unto you. Why would he say that? Because they thought their world was wrecked. Mary's trying to explain to them that he's resurrected. The other gospel accounts say that the apostles thought maybe she's lost her mind. This woman was demon-possessed at one point. I mean, there's no telling what all was going through their heads. Peter and John had been there earlier that morning. They saw that he was gone, but that's all they knew. They're, everybody's trying to figure this out. Mary's the only one that had actually seen him that particular day, right? Uh, and she comes back and she's telling them this stuff. <clears throat> um, and so all of this is going on and they're trying to rebound from seeing him crucified, beaten, bruised, bloodied beyond recognition, put in a grave, and they're worried about that. Watch this. They're worried about that happening to them. It was a very strong possibility that that could happen to them. Can you imagine? Anybody here other than me ever get stressed out every now and then? Right? I don't know that I've been stressed out with that. You know? Um, they were stressed out about not only thinking the one we thought was the Messiah is dead, but also they're going to do that to me. Flip it all the way over to the other extreme. You got Mary. She understands, no, he's really alive, and they're trying to figure this out. He shows up, and he says, I want you to have peace. Shalom Aleichem. Their minds and emotions are stirring so much. It's not until he does this, shows his side, that they go, oh, my goodness. And it says that they believed. Um, it says he showed him his hands and his side in verse 20. And the taught ones, the disciples, they rejoiced when they saw the master. Can you imagine the euphoria in that room? The total opposite of where they were 30 seconds prior to him coming into the room. It says they were in there locked away for fear of the Yehudim, the religious leaders, and they're afraid that this is going to happen to them. That's where they are emotionally and mentally. All of a sudden, they learn, no, he's not dead. I saw him really, really, really dead three days ago, and now he's standing in the room. <laughs> I mean, to try to wrap our brain around their emotions and their excitement, relief. Can you, I mean, just like, you have to understand that when they understood him to be the Messiah, they, were, they pitched all of their hopes on that. For life, the end of the world, peace on earth, restoration of the kingdom, all of that stuff. And then they were like, and he's dead. Uh, they, can't, they can't even remember what he was telling them before. They can't figure all this out. And now they're rejoicing because they find him alive. That's powerful, isn't it? Um, you see, no matter how much you think you know up here, our faith has to become our own personal reality before we're really going to walk it out. It, it has to. And he came and he showed himself to them. This study tonight, uh, to me, it's extremely encouraging because I think I just believe that the Father showed me something that I went, that's, wow, uh, pretty incredible. Let's go on. In verse 22, verse 22 through verse 25, let's look at something else here. So, um, you know, he, he said in 21, 
Yeshua says to him again, peace to you, or shalom aleichem. As the Father sent me, I'm, I'm sending you. Pick up in verse 25, it says, and having said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the set-apart spirit, the Holy Spirit. And then he says this weird thing. And I really, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, I don't have a real good answer for this one. I looked. Um, I just, I couldn't find anything really. I, I just, and I don't think the Father gave me anything. So I, it just says, if you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And in my own digital Bible here, I got a big red question mark next to it. Um, there are a lot of people believe that the church actually has the power and authority to remit sins, to forgive sins. And I would say, no, God does that. I really believe, and once again, when you see something strange in your Bible, pay attention. I really think that's talking more about, this is my opinion, and this is my, what I've always thought about with this particular verse, was that... <clears throat> If we forgive each other, then we're truly, for, it's forgiven and it's cleared. You know, but if we retain it and we don't forgive it, there's still a problem here. And it's, it's still there. Um, that's my opinion. But you know what? Uh, maybe later I'll find out more. So then we get to verse 24. And it says, but Thomas, which would be the right way of saying it, or we know it as Thomas, Thomas, Tom, called the twin, one of the 12, he wasn't with them when Yeshua shows up. And so in verse 25, it says, so the other taught ones, the other disciples, they said to him. So here's what happened. Thomas wasn't there. They all see the scars, they, they're the, the holes in his body. And they're explaining it to him. And they say, we've seen the master. And Thomas says, no, you know what? Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, put my finger into the imprints of the nails and put my hand into his side, I shall by no means believe. This is where Thomas gets stuck with this stigma of doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Here's what's really sad about that. When we do that kind of stuff and we get stuck with these uh, false, if you will, ideas for 2,000 years, sometimes we can't see the power of what's really going to be told to us in the passage itself. This is why I say all the time, what? Read your Bible in, in context. Context is king. Context is king. So I need for you to remove this idea that he's doubting Thomas. Can you do that for a second? And I'm going to show you why. Um, in verse 26, it says, And after eight days, all the disciples, his taught ones, were again inside, and Thomas, Thomas was with them. And once again, Yeshua came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and he says, Shalom Aleichem. A couple of things are important to note here. Number one, Thomas wasn't there, and it's now eight days later. Eight days. He's had a week with the other apostles, them explaining to him what, he's, what they've seen, but he's like, I need to see him, right? Some have said, so why was it eight days? I think it's connected to birth. See, on the eighth day after a child is born, a male child is born on the eighth day is when you would perform circumcision. Um. I think it has to do with the disciples being, if you will, reborn with their faith. And so now he's going to show up eight days later, and there's one more that's going to basically come into the fold. It's, in other words, there's going to be a completion. Um, 
And it says that he came in, it was eight days later, he sees them, and he says, peace to you. So he speaks directly to Thomas in verse 27. He says, bring your finger here, see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And this is where Thomas answers this incredible statement. He says to him, my master and my Elohim. Or in English, or in your ESV, it'll say, my Lord and my God. One thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus, Yeshua, does not correct him when he calls him God. He actually, uh, if you will, uh, confirms his belief. He says, you've seen me and you believe. We all stipulate and say that Thomas is the doubting Thomas, which is ridiculous. He hasn't been able to walk through it the way they were. Mary came earlier in the day and said, I've seen the risen Savior. It wasn't until they all saw him that they actually believed. And they explained that to Thomas. Thomas, we saw him. And Thomas like, uh, what about me? Can you imagine? Now, you have to stop and think for a second. He's got to be thinking, so he shows up when I'm not here? Uh, am I the C team? Am I on the B team? I mean, what? what? And then he's got to be thinking, well, no. I, I also need to see him. Okay? They had to see him to believe. All the disciples did. All the apostles did. It says, when they saw him, that's when they believed. They didn't believe on Mary's account, Mary's testimony. We have a tendency to forget that. They didn't believe Mary based on her. They thought, eh, she's, I don't know, hysterical, whatever. They thought it was just nonsense. They're like, okay, whatever. And it's not until he shows up, shows them his side, shows them the holes in his hands and his feet, and they really rejoice. They say, he really is risen. And Thomas is simply doing the exact same thing. It's not that he's really worse. Quite, I mean, if Jesus showed up to just our church out of all the churches in America, and it was that one Saturday you couldn't be here, right? Wouldn't you be going, oh, whoa, 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 God, you know everything. How come you picked that week? Right? And you'd be going, uh, you know, come on, come on back because, I, you know, I want to see you too, right? Because just like them, don't we put a lot of stock in that? How many of us here could be honest and say, I've often wished I could have lived during those days? Right? I would have loved to have seen it myself. I mean, I would have, how about being in the boat when Peter gets out and he walked on water? What about seeing Jesus raise Lazarus? Right? Uh, we went through that, you know, which his name, mean, his name means, remember, God helps, or the one that helped God, and he raises him from the dead. To be able to be there, now, wouldn't that be cool? Right? We go, that would be awesome, right? Wrong. Wrong. Jesus blesses Thomas and he says, wow, Thomas, you've seen me and now believe. You know what I'm, a, we're going to read it, right? What, what is it that Jesus says to him? He says, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. But what? Blessed are those that have not seen and believe. Who is that directed at? us today. What was it that they could not bring themselves to do? 
believe somebody else's testimony without seeing it with their eyes, touching it with their hands. Right? And we have a tendency to be just like them. We kind of want to go back there, right? We all said it. I've been there. Still am to a large degree. I, I fight against that. Would like to be back there and actually see it, touch it, smell it, feel it, you know, in person, right? Wrong. Why would he say that? Why would he say, blessed is the one who hasn't seen and yet believes? What is he trying to get us to see? A number of things, I believe, at least a couple of things. Number one, most important, our faith and trust in God had better be, watch this, it had better be based on the Word of God and not what you see or experience. That's going to become paramount in the very near future. Paramount. Your faith, our faith, needs to be based on the Word of God, not just what your physical eyes can see and your physical ears can hear and your physical hands can touch. Another reason why that's important is because you and I are limited by time and space. Sorry, but we live in America. We're in Roy City, Texas, and it is 2019. We're not in Jerusalem. It's not around 30, 33, or whatever AD. We're here. We're in the, the time zone of being here, not back there. This is where we are, and we're getting very close to the return of our Messiah, right? Very close to a lot of other things that we've spent time talking about. But he says to him, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. Everybody wants to see and touch and experience something before they will believe. The whole prosperity gospel and why it's been doing what it's been doing forever, because people want to experience something in their faith based on what they experienced. Did you ever think you experienced something only to find out later it wasn't real? Whatever that might have been. Maybe, maybe somebody lied to you or whatever. You thought you were getting something and that's not what you got. Or you, know, you thought something was a truth and it wasn't the truth. I think all of us could also say uh, we thought there was a lot of things we understood in the Bible only to find out uh, that's not really what it says. It actually says a lot of stuff that's really different than what I was told. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was told that the Spirit finally got poured out on the apostles in Acts chapter 2. Now, we'll get to Acts. We're going to march through Acts after this. Okay, It's going to be about three or so weeks from now before we kick off the book of Acts. I'm looking forward to going through that. But uh, everybody says, you know, well, the church was birthed in what? Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Well, I just read to you something pretty interesting, right? So when did the apostles get the Holy Spirit? Most of them, except for Thomas, got it Sunday night. The very night on the day Jesus... Yeshua shows up that he's been resurrected. That's when they received the Holy Spirit. Now, was the Holy Spirit, is it going to be poured out in Acts chapter 2? Yeah, it's going to be poured out then. But it's also, we're going to see as we march through Acts that the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on other people at various times. And, you know, the church, quote unquote, was not born on Acts chapter 2. The church is a word, ecclesia, or watch this, or synagogue, synagogue. It means the gathering of people, the called out ones. The gathering called out ones of God's people has always been in existence. Now, well, I'll start preaching Acts. I don't want to do that. I'll get off, get off track. 
what I want you to see here is that I think Yeshua's telling us, you know what, Thomas, you got to see this and you're believing because you saw it. Hint, hint, you other guys in here that didn't believe Mary that I told them to come and tell you. And you went, uh, I think she's nuts. And then I showed up and you went, okay. So they're not any better. Okay, they're not any better. And guess what? We're not any better because we have a tendency to want to do the same thing. Folks, I just want to briefly tell you that is extremely dangerous. If we're not founded and rooted in the word of God and what it says, then the deception that's coming is going to be so strong that a boatload of Christians that have this same mindset of, I need to feel it, taste it, and smell it, and see it, and then I'm going to believe it. All of us in this, almost, I, don't, I didn't count hands, but almost all of us in this room said we have a tendency to want to go back there and see it, taste it, smell it, feel it. So we need to admit that that's, a, if you will, a natural, if you will, human tendency to want that. But God is saying, and Jesus is telling us, you need to be firmly rooted in the Word of God. We're blessed when we believe what God said without having to see anything. Without him having to prove something. You know, the old bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, God said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God said it, that settles it. And he's told us so many things in his word that... (laughs) We don't read, we don't study, we're not getting the Word of God in us, we're not letting the Word of God cleanse us and wash us, uh, and we just simply keep regurgitating other things that we've said or that we've read uh, that has no biblical context. I just showed you how we've stuck Thomas with the stigma of being doubting Thomas for nearly 2,000 years now, and he's no different. We could say doubting apostles. It's not, it's not just him. It, it was all of them. So he says, <clears throat> um, you know, th- there are those that are blessed that haven't seen and believe. And then right here, verse 30, huge, huge, important verse for the whole book of John. Right here, John is going to tell us why he wrote or the emphasis of him writing what he wrote in his gospel account. He says specifically that there were indeed many other signs that Yeshua did in the presence of his apostles, his taught ones, which those are not written in this book. So John is telling us, look, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus did I didn't write down. I I didn't write them all down. He says, um, but these were written so that you believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that having believed, you might possess life in his name. So right here he's telling us, through the Holy Spirit, God told John, this is what you need to write down. And there's a reason why you have a number of pages in your notes. I did copy and paste something for you, starting on page two all the way through to page whatever it was, five this time or four this time. These are the miracles of Yeshua found in the gospel accounts, the harmony of the gospels, okay? But you'll notice that if you go down on the right column, and I I need to give credit where credit is due, this is right out of uh, Walverd's, I believe it's Walverd's commentary, it's on the back page. Uh, John F. Walford's uh, commentary, Bible knowledge commentary set. <clears throat> what you'll notice is that if you go down on the, uh, the right-hand column, uh, that there were only seven miraculous signs that John chose to put in his gospel account. Seven. Seven is a number uh, for God and completion, holiness, on and on. John tells us, look, there's a lot of things that Jesus did that I didn't put down in this book. 
and it also says things like, man, if, if, that, if everything were written down that he did, all the books in the world couldn't contain it, right? Here it says, <clears throat> he tells us, he said, but these were written. I put these in here so that you would understand two things. One, that Yeshua is none other than the Messiah. Number two, that this Messiah is none other than God in the flesh. And that if you believe in that and you trust in his name, what you're going to have is eternal life. So he wrote this down. Watch this. And he's writing it for people that didn't necessarily see Yeshua. So he's writing it for us. Ultimately, right? Okay to... Assume that he's writing it with us in mind. Holy Spirit's writing it with us in mind for us to have this. And that we're here today studying this, trying to realize that it is critically important to be firmly rooted in what this says over and above what you and I see. Yeshua said some pretty weird things. One of the most bizarre things Yeshua said was this. That when he comes back, the days are going to be like what? You remember? He said it's going to be like it was during the times of Noah. Do you know what those days were like? There were giants in the land. The Nephilim were running around. You have the, the whole issue of, we've talked about it, right? The watchers and, and all of that stuff that was going on. <clears throat> We're told also in the scriptures that there's a great deception coming that's going to be so powerful that if possible, even the elect will fall for it. So that would tell me that you and I need to be extremely grounded in what the Word says because something is coming that's going to tempt me to believe it. Right? Therefore, the only way to deal with what I'm not, what I'm not sure is coming, I need to be totally sure of what the Word says. Right? Right? And what it's telling me is that all of these things were written. Jesus said, if you'd have believed Moses, you'd have believed me. Why? Because all of that was written, what? Yeah, you can say it, about him. Everything in the scriptures is all pointing to the Messiah, to Yeshua. Everything in the future is pointing to Yeshua, and him fulfilling all this and fulfilling the fall feast. We're about to be there. But there's a deception coming in between now and then that's going to cause every single person in this room to lean that direction and go, whoa. It says, if possible, it's going to be so powerful that if possible, even the elect will fall for it which means every person in this room is going to have at least a moment to go, mm, whoa, you following me? So Jesus says, Thomas, you see something and now you believed. But you know what? Blessed. Blessed is the person who doesn't see and yet still believes. Folks, that's us. I think it's also somewhat of a warning or a challenge for us to be totally grounded in what the Word of God says because of what's coming. Watch this. So during the, are we all okay here saying that during the times of Noah that that's when you had the Nephilim and all that stuff going on and that's why the flood had to happen? I don't have to explain that, right? So that means that these fallen angelic beings were messing with Human DNA. It's where Greek mythology came from, an element of truth. So they're messing with human DNA. 
and there were giants in the land. And it evidently happened afterwards. We've talked about this a number of times. You know, the, the Hebrews are trying to go into the promised land. They're like, well, I'm not going in there. There's giants in there, and they're consuming everything. It, these giants are literally consuming everybody and everything. We're not going. And so they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years, and they were afraid their children would be killed and eaten by the giants. And they, so God says, fine. Everybody 20 years and older, going to die in the wilderness. The children are going to stay. They'll go inside and kill the, kill the giants. So there was something really, really weird going on. What do you think, if people don't, do most Christians know what I just said? Do, would they think, oh, he's one of those guys, if they heard me say it? He's, yeah, huh, conspiracy theorist. I mean, he's, I don't know, he's put something weird in his coffee. I don't know if he's, you know, eating mushrooms or I don't know what he's doing. You know, but the, he's got to, right? And, and, okay, so most people don't, don't, even, don't even know that. And they're, they're like, that's just too weird. I'm not, I'm not going to believe it because it's too weird. This makes me nuts. So if that, but if that's the case, we all would admit that that's probably the truth, average truth out there, that that's what most people would think about what I just said. Well, if that's the case, what do you think everybody's response is going to be if they're clueless to this stuff and all of a sudden, demons show up again that seem to be portrayed as aliens. And all this technology you've got, well, it came from us. Yeah, Yeshua was a great guy. We were behind that too. And they have actual things that you can handle and touch and say, this is real. And you have beings, real beings, walking around. Remember when we studied Revelation, there's some kind of weird stuff going around? And they came from where? Out of the, they come out of the pit? Who's in the pit? <laughs> the watchers. Okay, so all this stuff. We go, oh, yeah, but that, you know, right? Because we're logical, educated, rational, modern American people. That stuff can't really be real, right? Let's be honest, right? We have a tendency to think that, and so we just kind of go, yeah, yeah okay, whatever, there's a good chance most of us here will leave tonight and go kind of, well, whatever. But I'm telling you, you need to hear this. What do you think is going to happen if all of a sudden things like that show up again, like what happened? Because do we believe Jesus is God? Is that safe? Could, maybe, I don't, maybe he's wrong. Right? He can't be wrong or he's, or he's not God. And he said, when I come back, it's going to be just like it was during the time of Noah. There's going to be that kind of stuff going on when I come back. So what if this great deception is connected to these demons coming back? They're real demons from another realm, not another planet. And they can actually show real technology and real things that people can see. You ever wondered why it says he's going to give... Uh, basically life to this beast, this statue, and cause it to speak, and people will worship it? We talked about that when we went through Revelation, right? We actually think that he's, it's just going to be a piece of metal, then it's, it's going to be AI, and people are going to go, oh, you're God out of nowhere? No, this stuff's going to be going on, and they're going to, people are going to be seeing some things that will rock their understanding of humanity. And you see, we really were seated here by aliens. And if there's that stuff walking around, I'm telling you, it's going to be powerful. 
Something like that. I don't know if I described it exactly. I'm not a prophet like that. Okay, I'm guessing, trying to look into the future. But we know that there's going to be something like that because he said it's going to be just like it was during the days of Noah. So if that's the case, and it starts to happen maybe in our lifetime, how critical do you think it is that we need to be grounded in what the Word of God says, believing that Yeshua is and was the Messiah, but watch this, but he is also the very Son of God, God in the flesh, of the one and only God. You, you following that? When you, when we, I think it was when we went through the uh, first and second, third John, talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is the one that basically says that Yeshua isn't God. Okay, yeah, he can be a Messiah. He can be a prophet. He can be a great guy. Maybe even empowered by these aliens, these, you know, Greek mythology gods. And they go, yeah, that stuff really did happen. And you got hybrids running around. Before you think that's impossible, they're already doing this kind of stuff with chimpanzees to harvest organs that are more compatible for human beings. Did you know that? It's already happening. And the scientific community is in an uproar because they're very concerned, when, when does the crossover happen and an ape actually become conscious when does the humanity start and stop with that kind of stuff? And it gets worse. Even with all the AI and everything else that's going on, and it's coming like a, tra a freight train. AI is one thing, okay? Fine. But what if a demon shows up, and he's about 12 feet tall, and he's got other... Uh, things about him that are just not right, and he claims that he's an alien, and it's not just one. And what if they show us technology that our technology is actually based on because they've been giving people these um, hints, ideas, and help to um, back engineer certain things? What if they come out and actually say that stuff? What are most people going to do? They're going to buy into it. They're going to go, oh, because they're, they're going to say, well, yeah, yeah, you know, it, the gospel account, that's, well, it's, you know, 95% right. It's, it's that thing about God. Well, we're all really God. And didn't even Jesus talk about that when he said, I said that you are gods? And they'll use all this stuff, and people that are untrained in their Bibles are going to fall for this stuff. And it's coming. I want you to see what the Word of God says because, look, that's my passion. Those of you that have been here, you know that my passion is to study the Word of God, to give you the tools on how to study it properly yourself so you didn't get off into the deep weeds. And of all times in human history, to be able to do this, now is the time and to be firmly rooted in what it says, and watch this, and understand and have as the, <clears throat> the most important part of the passage to get our attention, watch this, instead of the doubting Thomas. That's the part we remember. Instead of remembering and focusing on what our Savior said, that if you didn't get to see those things, and if you don't get to see those things in the future, yet you still believe in him, then you are the one that's blessed, not the one that sees it. You and I will be the one that is blessed if we don't get to see anything and yet totally believe every single thing it says in here that it's the truth and that he's fulfilling everything that he said he would fulfill. Why? Because he actually is God. 
There's not multiple paths to multiple gods, to one cyborg God out there that we all make up part of this pantheistic God. No. We're created in his image, and he really is God, and he really sent his son. And the one that says that he's not God, that's the spirit of the Antichrist straight from the devil himself. Do you understand maybe now why it is so important to fully understand the very word of God? Our future hangs in the balance. This is why it's important to teach the truth to your children of what the Bible actually says instead of just a flannel graph, fun, warm, fuzzy. It's very important to teach them these stories. How many times here have we even talked about Balaam? And all we remember about Balaam is the talking donkey. That is the nothing in the story. It is the little blip of the story, but that's all we remember was Balaam's donkey was talking to him because he was beating his donkey because the angel was about to kill him. But Balaam's story keeps coming up over and over and over again, all the way into the book of Revelation. God's still mad about it. And what was it that Balaam did? He tricked God's people into mixing the other faiths with the faith of God, intermarrying with their daughters. And then therefore, when they broke God's code, God was forced to kill them. And the plague broke out. I think it was 26,000 died before one of the priests killed the pair committing a sex act in front of everybody. And then when that happened, because of his zeal of doing something like that, stopped the plague. And all the way into the book of Revelation, God's still mad about it. Ah, God won't care if we change it up a little bit. Yes, he will. Yes, he will, because it's so critical. That's why he said, don't change it, don't add to it, don't take away from it. Not even the last book, don't add to it or take away from it. Believe what it says. It's real simple. We made it complicated. Who do you think was behind that? Exactly, our adversary. When the story is simple, God loves us. He's declaring that he's the one true God and he wants us to be part of his family, and that through living our lives his way, we glorify his name. It's really just that simple. It's just that simple. But there's a time coming when that faith is going to be tested. You're better off, watch this, you're better off if you don't put faith in what you can see, but you put faith in what he said. You put faith in what he said. You put faith in the very word of God. And then it's not wrong. It's not contradictory. It's consistent. It's the same. It's his word. And he's going to see us safely home. 